Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever or whoever you may be. I'm Alan Arante, and this is The Recluse Podcast. Today's guest is Ricky Roberts III. He is the author of eight books, including his latest, which is titled Thank You Skateboarding. He is a public speaker, a skateboarder, a surfer, a husband, and a father. And in this conversation, we discuss Ricky's early childhood and the experiences that shaped his development. He recounts his first day of school, having to lie about his black eye. He tells the story of being stabbed nine times at 17 years old. And more importantly, he shares the tools that he has cultivated in adulthood that have helped him heal the wounded child within. In this conversation, we discuss his latest book, Thank You Skateboarding, and I would characterize that book as a love letter to skateboarding. I found myself nodding and smiling throughout the whole book because I could relate exactly to what he was saying. It's a book about the lessons he has learned from skateboarding, things that include perseverance and courage, getting back up, how to be a community member, and how to... Uh, support your peers and to accept their support in return. He learned how to channel his uh, negative and destructive feelings into something positive and productive. Ricky Roberts III has eight books available on Amazon. I enjoyed this book in particular. So without further delay, this is a portrait of Ricky Roberts III. Your latest book, Thank You Skateboarding. I read that yesterday. Um, I, w- I wanted to read uh, your your I don't know if they call it in book terms, but your discography. Um, but I, I just didn't get the chance to. But Thank You Skateboarding was really great. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, my first question for you is: How would you describe your childhood self? Were you angry, inventive, curious, timid? How would you describe yourself as a kid? Uh, well, first, thank you for reading the book and I, you know, I just appreciate your support and just, uh, and the opportunity to be on, on your show. So thank you for that. Um, you know, I, my childhood was, it was turbulent, you know, and, and violent. It, it started off pretty crazy. I mean, some of my first memories are, uh, I blocked a lot out before five years old, but, uh, one of my first childhood memories is, um, you know, like on the way to school and having my mom tell me that if someone asked about, you know, my, my black eye, tell them that I fell off my bike or whatever. And really the truth was, is that she gave me the black eye. So here I am at, at kindergarten, five years old on the first day of school, I get dropped off at the front of the school by myself to walk up to school the first day like this broken child with with a black eye so um from there you know i spent my my childhood uh, experiencing and witnessing violence on all levels you know and and then uh when i was like 12 ish 11 12 my dad left he he had some issues with drugs and ultimately you know one of the worst things was him being addicted to crack and that impacted his life and his decisions a lot Um, You know, he was just working through his own stuff and trying to figure out who he was in his mid to late 20s with six kids at that time, you know, so I I get like the chaos of it all, you know, and um, 
he left and then we went into some extreme poverty situations and I, my mom went from one abusive relationship to another and all these random dudes coming in and out of my life and I just I at some point I remember hitting someone for the first time and like punching this kid in the face and I hesitated for a long time before I did that and then when I hit him I felt like this like I don't know man it was just this weird sort of demented release that came over me that I could kind of express my pain that I was experiencing onto someone else and in some weird way it made me feel less alone in that moment um so I started to fight a lot and at the same time I, I connected with skateboarding fell in love with skateboarding and that was that thing that really chipped the edge off of the anger and hostility and depression I was carrying at that time to help me stay somewhat mentally sane, you know? Um, and there's things evolved from there and I, it, it just goes on and on. I, I experienced a lot of violence and abuse and uh, poverty on, on all types of levels and some pretty extreme times. And, um, you know, to make a long story short, my pivotal, my like changing moment, I went through, adolescence and late adolescence skateboarding and having that outlet in my art and and i was starting to journal a, a bit at that time as well and on the other side of it i was angry and broken and just looking for opportunities to fight so i could hurt someone else never that that's ever the answer or wrong because every time i did it i walked away feeling worse than i did before i started the interaction with violence you know so um, in no way did I do I ever think that it was right um, in in the way that I was choosing to be at that time, and uh, wow. eventually it ended up you know that path ended up me getting a street fight at seventeen that resulted in me in being stabbed nine times and that uh, really pushed me to my comfort zones or past my comfort zones of trying to address the pain that I felt internally and start transforming myself and, and my life and my outlook from there on out. And it's oh an ongoing goodness. process. It's an ongoing process still to this day. You know, it's always, I'm always looking how I can better understand myself and my faults and my pains, my insecurities, and just develop and grow as an individual the best I can. Wow. There, there is, and it's so fascinating to hear you um, explain and describe your upbringing. Um, it, it just sort of uh, triggers my mind and it reminds me of how I grew up and the things that still stick with me and the things that still hurt and the things that I feel like I've recovered from. Um, so I, I want to go back to you said something very interesting about your experience of the your first day of school in kindergarten. That you look at TV and you, you see how, um, how it should be, right. Should yeah. is a, you know, yeah. uh, I don't know that should is the right word, but in pop culture, we see the parents what you think it's like what you think other people's worlds are like that. Right. You feel like your world is so far away from that. And it's so, very taxing on your esteem and your well being. you know, I mean, you were alone and injured, frankly, on this, uh, this huge day for you. It's the first day of school. Um, so even as early as that, did you have to develop 
defense mechanisms? Did you become like a really great liar? Because you said your mom said, Hey, you know, say you fell off your bike. So from a very early age, you're having to uh, cover these holes with lies. Um, Mm -hmm. Did you develop interesting defense mechanisms in your childhood to sort of uh, relieve this pain and to keep people off your trail? Oh man. Um, absolutely. In so many different ways and in different aspects of that knowledge, just kind of different sides of it. The, the line aspect. Yeah. Uh, you know, in my mind, I'm like, because I believe inherently we know what's right and wrong. We, we, it's like in our core or just like our moral compass. Um, and when she was telling me that, I just remember thinking that's not like, that's a lie. Like in my head, I just remember being so confused. Like, why are you telling me to tell someone that's different, like something different than actually happened? So then that became a pattern as things evolved. And ultimately when my dad left, there were many times that uh, child protective service, they called it HRS at the time, wow. it's DCF now, would come to our house. I, we would get uh, like debriefed basically before they came on how we needed to respond and what we needed to say and things that we surely wouldn't say because if we did, we're going to be taken into this, like, you know, it was always this picture of how bad it was going to be if we were taken out of the house, you know, and like other homes, it's going to be worse. Mm-hmm. So we would, like, it just became normal. It became, it, it not only lying to those adults, but in not even in the word, the sense of lying through your words, but just in your behavior. Mm. When I went to school, the the amount of energy that I had to spend from elementary school all the way through high school, putting on a fake smile and a fake front um, for people was exhausting. It, it would be, I would be literally exhausted. And then when I started to like feed into violence, I developed this identity of that dude that would fight anyone, wasn't afraid of anyone, and I found some sort of refuge in that. So that was less work because everyone was focusing on that identity and then the skater kid, whatever it was, that they weren't even understanding or wanting to talk about what was really going on at home. The same same example of getting in trouble in school and just being disrespectful to teachers. It was all deflecting and, and um, to talk to your and really just living a lie. I was someone who was broken. I was hurt. I mm. needed love. I needed help. I needed someone to be there for me and they weren't. And mm. I carry that internally and the whole face of my my earlier years in life really was a lie in a lot of ways, even if I wasn't literally lying with my words. And so that aspect, then the coping mechanisms. I. If, you know, I got to a point where I could just disappear in the same room wow. of people that I felt like should be loving me and be nice to me. And I would feel more lonely in a room full of people, oftentimes, you know, referring to like home environments and things like that, where uh, I would feel more lonely there with those people than if I just was by myself in some field laying in the grass, disappearing from everything, you know? Yeah. So that was the cope and my ability to uh, disassociate my reality with what was was going on and just disappear into my head, you know. And I think ultimately that turned into parts of things that I use as a writer. And I just mm. I'm able to like 
really follow, like just be, I guess, be in my head, I guess, uh, out. And sometimes I, I still to this day, not because I'm separating myself, but I'll just disappear into like that space in between people in the room and me and and my thoughts, you know, or myself, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Um, are there any triggers even though you're a grown man now and you that's all behind you are there anything are there any things that trigger those old emotions and feelings and i ask that because um just with what i went through as a kid uh i had a stepfather who um was somewhat abusive towards my mom there were a few episodes that i recall from being a kid that really have just stuck with me my whole life and so now I'll be out in public. I'm a grown man now. I'll be out in public and see a guy that looks like him. Mm-hmm. And I feel, I feel afraid. Not that I know, you know, I know that it's not him and I know, I know all the facts, but th- that emotion floods me from when I was a kid. Are there any things like that, that trigger you and bring you back to that state? Yeah. You know, like when you were talking earlier, you were saying how like these things happen when you're young and they, they stick with you and, and, just from a child development standpoint, as you're going through different stages of, of development, these different things are happening. Even you're, either you're getting uh, like this sense of support and belonging and healthy attachment relationships are developing with the love and the, the consistency of that love that you're getting from mm. your caregivers or whatever or lack of. So when these things happen or when you witness violence in, in the home or whatever it is, that's that's impacting our development. So that's a part of who we are. Mm. Over the years, I learned healthy tools to address those situations and those triggers. They would be triggered in like uh, love relationships or like anytime I was vulnerable, um, any type of like financial stuff triggers the poverty stuff mm. in me and this like fear of, you know, not knowing if I'm going to eat or if the water is going to be turned on or electric is uh, going to be off, whatever it might be. Um, if we're going to get mo- kicked out of the house because we didn't pay the bill for however long the rent, and then we're it'd be constantly moving around. Um, so that stuff, you know, will will get triggered. But I, I, I several years ago, I, I realized I had these tools that I acquired and that I worked on and have to continuously work on, and I and I just thought. You know, I was actually talking to a therapist about this. Uh, it was like an experience with a dating relationship at that time that was hurting me way more than it should have because it was like triggering that five-year-old kid or that seven, eight, ten-year-old kid that just wow. wanted the love of their parents that didn't get it. And then like ultimately that, uh, let's say like, um, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it when you're um, going blank? Uh, the like when someone doesn't want you rejection. So that rejection triggers that sense of abandonment, mm. loss. And I was talking to this like there's intellectually, I know that there's no way that this experience can make me feel the way that I'm feeling right now. It's right, not, right. It's just like it doesn't make sense. So <laughs> um, it was basically that trigger of feeling. She she was saying. In that moment, you're not feeling anything different than that seven-year-old kid that was hurt. You're like you're feeling the pain of that child in that trigger wow. moment, right? 
Wow. So at that point, I went on this journey of writing my sixth book, is Healing the Wounded Child Within, and I was really just diving into each of those triggers and, and recalling experience in my life, where they've been triggered, and, and with the idea of I don't want to just deal with this stuff my whole life, and I don't want to have to manage it because I can manage it. I understand <laughs> how, and I get it, but I want it to be healed. I, I want those wounds to be healed. It's like if you break your ankle – if you don't get a cast and stuff like that, you could walk again. You could like maybe limp or whatever. But if you heal it properly, you get a cast and you do the proper physical uh, therapy, then you're going to be good. You're, you'll be like you were before. So that's where um, that journey was just to really spend the the extra time and attention to to facilitate more healing into those wounds so that I can um, not be triggered as, uh, deeply maybe, or as frequently, I guess. And, um, you know, because either regardless of the work we do or not do, I, I do believe that, um, to some extent, you know, we're all, we're always being triggered. It's like with the stabbing situation, I've done a lot of work on the, the PTSD aspect of that, wow. yeah. but I can still watch, something on on some sort i don't watch a lot of violent stuff because i can see that and it's not only some dude getting or female whoever getting stabbed on a screen it's something that i experience and i can like get pulled into that emotion of, of that very right. easily which is a, a trigger so i try to be really mindful of that stuff yeah i um yeah i got in a car accident a few years ago and um i used to play it well, I guess I still have the game, but I played this game, Grand Theft Auto, a lot. And after my, so it's interesting you say that. I know this is a different thing, but it's similar in that I got in the car accident. And I then, I don't know, a few weeks later, I started, I played that game. And, you know, you're driving a lot in that game. And the first crash I got in the game, I, I flinched. I mean, it really oh, brought wow. back a swell of emotions. And um, so I can totally understand that. Um, and you brought it up a little bit, but in terms of um, your adolescence, how did you interact with women and were you over-sexualized given this volatile relationship your parents had and the what your mom went through dating guys through your adolescence? How did that influence your interaction with the opposite sex? Um, I definitely looked for some sort of... I don't want to say cure is the wrong word, like missing piece through my dating relationships or just the um, efforts to create relationships and or whatever, just dating or being single, whatever with, with um, for me, it's, it's the opposite sex. So this could be applicable to in any direction of that. Um, mm. But it was trying to, feel fill voids you know and try to uh maybe find uh like um it's like replace the love that i didn't get as a child in some way I, in other words i put a lot of pressure mm. on the validation i needed from <laughs> females um, wow. so it would be that and it would almost be like this thirst to get as much of the attention as i could um, which in different phases of my life would result in not 
being committal, like not being able to commit in long-term mm-hmm. relationships because I just wanted to keep replacing that, <laughs> um, uh, like quest to, to fit, to fill some missing void, uh, mm-hmm. that I really was in for myself, you know, it was just, um, back to those wounds. So, um, you know, that, that, that was a journey. And part of that healing the wounded child with, within was I saw patterns in my relationships that weren't healthy. Um, if from my end specifically, I, there were, uh, you know, there's two sides of everything, but I, I was more interested in what, where I was falling short in these failed relationships, what I, what I was doing wrong or what I needed to fix about myself to be able to address behaviors and relationships that I didn't like, like insecurities and, you know, random feelings of jealousy and all these different things that didn't feel healthy for me. And I knew I didn't like that. So um, before I met my wife, that was years before that was really uh, that energy and and the attention uh, to heal those wounds that were causing that were manifesting themselves into areas of my life, uh, in this case, relationships that I wanted to change. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm grateful now for, for where I am and the ability to be in a healthy relationship. Because when you don't have models of love in your life, as you, I'm sure you can relate, uh, when you don't have these healthy models it's hard to try mm. like, to make sense out of what a relationship's even supposed to right. be. Right. There were times in relationships. I remember there was time where my sister Odie and passed away and I was with oh, this person wow. at the time. And the night of the, uh, the, 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 what do you, the, like the, the wake? wake and the, yeah, yeah. The, like the funeral and stuff, not even the night, like the afternoon, this person was like, yeah, I'm just going to go to this, uh, so-and-so's party and go out. Do you want to come? They're like, no, I don't want to come. My sister just died. Like, I don't even know what's going on right now. I'm f- like, I'm dealing with the, you know, of course that's like what I felt. And I didn't even know if that was wrong or not, not to say it was right or wrong, but for me, if it was okay, like I had to talk to a mentor about that. Like, should I, because I felt upset. I felt like I wanted this person there for me. And I was like, mm-hmm. is that okay to want that? in in a relationship like want someone to be there for me like this in this time and this this mentor of mine of course she was like yes absolutely (laughs) you deserve you you your sister passed away you deserve to have someone that wants to love you and support you and at least be there for you that day you know Mm -hmm. um so yeah there's just those experiences that i've had to figure out what a healthy relationship looks like for Mm. me and the last thing I'll ask related to your parents, um, this would uh, interest me to know, were, did you have feelings of uh, resentment or were, did say your mom, the years that your dad was gone, I'm not sure if he's back, but th- those formative years that he was gone and it was you and your mom and your brothers and sisters, did, uh, how, what was your relationship like with your mom? Did you resent her for, you know, I'm going to make something up here, but did you resent her for failing your dad? Did she resent you for looking like your dad? You know, in terms of resentment, what was there any between you and your mother? Um, <clears throat> well, I, it went through different cycles, uh, with what, you know, which 
abusive relationships do. Um, it, it was there were times where things are really great, and I you know I really worked hard to want uh, to like impress my mom and like had a lot mm. of respect for her as a single mother to deal with the stuff that she dealt with, the abuse from my father and other men, and um, hold it together enough to at least try to figure out how to keep us fed and in whichever ways that we were able to be fed and um, get navigate through different uh, welfare systems and all of these things that, that she was going through as a person. But deep down it, there, there was resentment towards my father from not being around because mm-hmm. of some of the things we had to experience because he wasn't around, you know, right, right. Um, and really being angry and bitter towards him and not understanding how that was possible because when he was around before his, like before his, my mother and his relationship just like kind of imploded and his addictions and things, there were a lot of great times with my father and he did, you know, he really loved us and you could tell. So, um, <laughs> when that was gone, I, it was really confusing. So there was a lot of, really a lot of anger and resentment towards my father and it was hard to it was something i had to work through when he came back into my life later on um in like early 20s my mother uh, it was more anger towards her from things that she would do in the present it, so it wasn't resentment it was just like constant disappointment and frustration mm. it, the older i got the more i understood some of how wrong what some of the things she was doing were um just in the way she would talk to me and uh treat me and treat the rest of my siblings and i um so that was more just anger towards her and um just kind of navigating through that so i think that her and i both fell short in a lot of ways on how we treated each other in those years because I did get to a point where I was showing very little respect to her and her um, boyfriends, you know? Wow. Wow. Um, so you, uh, you had mentioned a little earlier and I, uh, I believe I read it in thank you skateboarding and I heard it in the Tommy Zam interview. Um, you, you'd mentioned you were stabbed nine times and you were hospitalized for over a week. Uh, was that a wake up call for you? Was that the pivotal moment in your life where you decided this all has to change? Yeah. Um, really? Yeah. That, that was like, um, so what was the question? What the, if there was a certain moment in that experience, that was like the pivotal moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was that the, the time where you thought, you know, I have to change my life? Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, laying on the hospital bed with doctors and nurses all around you and you have like tubes in you and then there's this chaplain that comes in the room to like, at that point, I thought, ah, this this dude's going to pray the last rites. I'm like, wow, (laughs) am I dying? I don't know. And I kept freaking out asking the doctors, nurses, am I dying? Because before that happened, I had to hold my eyes open before the paramedics came. Oh my God. Because they started to shut. And I felt oh. like in my mind that the, the loop that was playing in my head, I'm 17. So like, you know, it, it, I'm, it's not like I'm a kid at that point. I have this loop of like, 
do if your eyes close, you're dying. If your eyes close, you're dying. Keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. You have to fight because I had to fight to breathe. It was getting like short winded from uh, like losing so much blood. So I'm holding my eyes open because they kept fluttering. So as all this is all happening, then I get to the hospital and they definitely didn't make me feel like everything was cool. You know, there were times before when I'd gone to the hospital, right when I got there, I was like, all right, good. I'm good. You know, I'm mm-hmm. safe. Everything's cool. We showed up in the ambulance, uh, the doors open and the doctors and nurses were already outside, like working on me, cutting my clothes off as I'm driving, like as they're wheeling me back to the um, intensive care unit because the the paramedics called ahead. uh, Like we have a trauma victim. At this point, I didn't know how many times I was stabbed. They didn't know how many times I was stabbed. As they're wow. cleaning me up and trying to like figure out where the blood's coming from and they're turning me over, they're like, we have, we found another one. We found another one. We found oh my God. kept adding up. So at this point, the sense of urgency uh, or the, the, like the anxiety was peaking. It was really peaking. Mm. So what was going on in that, that moment was okay. Uh, like I could be dying right now. All of a sudden, I had these feelings of, wait, no, 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 I don't want to die. Like, I'm not ready to die. I don't want to die. I just started saying that out loud because up into that point in my life, Alan, I didn't I didn't care if I lived or died. Like, I, I got stabbed that night, but it wasn't the first fight that I got into that there were weapons involved. I had been shot mm-hmm. at several times. I've, like, heard bullets whiz by my head. I've had guns, like, pushed up against my forehead knives pulled out multiple times like up to my stomach um the so i lived to the edge to where i didn't try to keep myself out of those situations i in many ways i looked for them and then uh even in that night we were out there ready to get into a confrontation we already had like that all right let's go like someone so when i was in that moment of the hospital i realized for pretty much for the first time in my life, I could remember, wait, I don't want to die. Like this life, I don't, I'm not ready. Like this, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to die. And I felt I'm in there in that moment. And I felt this like, uh, kind of like sitting there in this vulnerable place of this choice, am I dying or not? And all the doctors and nurses there around me, like freaking out, trying to figure out where the blood's coming from and going through their process and protocols that when the chaplain came in, I thought he was praying over me. That's when I just wow. realized like, man, I, I'm, it's not that I don't want to die. And I never didn't want to die before. I just didn't know how to live. And then mm. that, so he comes up, puts his hand on my head, full on like freak mode at that point. I'm just like, man, this is nuts. All this stuff going on in my head, but I wasn't saying it all out loud. I'm just looking up at all these faces, looking down at me with fear in their eyes. And then when he put his hand on my hand in, on my head, he said, "Everything's gonna be okay, son." And he just—it was comfort that came over my whole body, wow. and I felt like, "All right, I'm good. I'm not. I'm not alone." This first time in my life, I didn't feel alone. I I felt like I, I I'd be okay. I believed it. I felt it. It wasn't like I believe like had to believe his words. It's because when he touched me, it was this feeling that came over me that I knew it was this mm. comfort and this peace. And I lay there for the next six and a half hours while they still worked on me, the doctors and nurses. And um, that then when they put me into another room for recovery, 
I just stared at outside of the window. I had a friend at the door, a dear friend that was uh, there to help and keep us safe because we didn't know if these people were coming back, like what was going on. Cause they, I, I, like, we feel like they thought we were someone else. Um, and I told him that I didn't want to see anyone. Like, I don't want anyone to come to see me. I just want to sit. I want to be by myself. Of course, I would want to see my mom if she came, but I was there for several days. Like, oh. and she never, she came once. But anyways, that's so as I'm laying there, I was just looking out of the window thinking about how I was letting all of the pain and hostility and hurt from childhood control me so much that I almost ended up dead because of it. Mm. And I like just started to pour my heart into my journals even more than I ever have ah. before and started to really figure it out. I spent a lot of time alone and just the, like really seeking uh, some answers and some better understandings and um, just going on that lifelong journey of, of healing and transformation from, from that night. So that was, that was a long answer to your question, but yeah, that was the, that was the wake up and shake up, I call it. And, and not now for the listeners, wow. not to create the illusion that, okay, I leave the hospital and everything's changed about my life. Cause I, <laughs> I, you know, a month after that I found myself driving across the bridge with a gun in my lap because mm. we heard, we knew where these people were that stabbed us. So we just wanted to get revenge. But then again, as I'm driving across the bridge, more thoughts at this point, my eye, like my senses are aware of what's going on. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? I need to stop. So shortly after that night, I, that's when I really went into recluse mode um, and like just would skate all the time by myself and like, it started to get harder for me. It was harder for me for a long time to be around groups of people and deal with that like mm. social anxiety, oh God, PTSD yeah. and stuff. So I don't want to paint the picture like that was the switch and then that was it. That was the start. Mm. Of it was the a story. catalyst. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Um, it's interesting that you say that, that, you know, you had this wave of uh, emotions and desire to live when you're sitting there on the bed or you're in the ambulance or you're holding your eyes open and you didn't say this, but I almost get the impression that it's as if, wait, I don't want to die. I haven't even lived yet. You know, you, you realize I haven't loved yet. I haven't had certain experiences and emotions yet. Wait, I'm not ready to die for that reason. I haven't even lived yet. And, um, yeah, it makes sense to me that you wouldn't just flip the coin and all of a sudden you're a perfect human being after that. But it does sound like that was a beginning, a new beginning. Um, you know, you yes. hit a, a low. It was a very Absolutely. low point and you can only go up from there. And it seems like you're still going up uh, from that day. So I, um, I, you know, what can I say? I, I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you. Um, and hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah, man. Yeah. And you know what? I, I, um, I, I have the opportunity to, to do different talks in like schools and stuff. And young people always ask me, do you have any regrets or anything? Or would you change anything? And I always tell them I would never change anything that I've gone through and <laughs> what I've experienced because it's helped make me who I am today. Um, what I would change, however, is spending like you were saying in that moment where you're talking about like i haven't even lived yet and i haven't loved and all the parts i totally get that because the parts i would change is spending so many of my year life 
years of my life, young years of my life, <laughs> so trapped in that anger and mm. that like bitterness and that hurt and that in like letting that manifest itself into violence in the the times that I held on to that identity of that person that was really just communicating to the world that they were hurt, but I was doing it through hurting other people, you know, mm. like that. Um, that's what I would change. And beyond the behaviors, just the feeling and the years that it robbed from my life. Mm. So at any point in our life, um, it's always important to, to mm. acknowledge those things that may be keeping us from that experience in life, if you will, like you were mentioning, mm. um, because in speaking to that in regards to re resentment and bitterness and stuff that we hold. Mm. And I always tell people forgiveness because I had to forgive my mother and my father. It's not about saying that they were right or, or forgetting things that happened. It's forgiveness is for yourself, you know, and, and mm -hmm. releasing your heart uh, to, to live more freely. So uh, that's the stuff that I would change if I could mm -hmm. is, is starting to work on myself sooner and not needing to be stabbed nine times to realize that I, I am valued and I'm important and I deserve to be here. And, uh, it's important to appreciate life and the gift that it is every moment. Because before that happened that night, I man, it was just another day. I was going through my life like thinking about what I was doing tomorrow, and things changed real <laughs> changed. They changed really fast. Wow. Well, you've come so far uh, from that time, and. Uh, the topic of the hour, of course, is your latest book. Thank you, skateboarding. And uh, like I said earlier, I really enjoyed it. And what it what it is to me is a love letter to skateboarding. That's really what it is. Um, I was finding myself um, being able to relate to so much of what you were writing about. And um, I'll pose this. Um, I'll give you a scenario, and you can respond to it. Imagine, um, imagine. Uh, you're in a grocery store in line and the person ahead of you is um, talking about somebody in another line. The person ahead of you is saying, oh, my God, look at that guy over there. He, he's dirty. He, uh, he has holes in his shoes. He's soaked in sweat. This animal has some nerve to be in here with that skateboard. I don't know that you would respond to that in person, but what you know, if you had an opportunity to respond, what would you say to that person? Wow, man. Um, it's and, and thank you for for bringing that up is I would tell them what they really see is dedication, perseverance, um, hard work, overcoming fears that are even hard to comprehend. Um, and, and what they also, what's also mixed in those holy shoes and those dirty clothes is the ability and opportunity to share a love with other people that love the same thing and a sense of community and, um, relationship to, uh, to something so amazing. So there's so much that so many stories that the, those, uh, dirty clothes, stand to share and and also what they're creating is memories that will continue to uh be fruit for their life for the rest of it <laughs>
Do you think that, um, you know, I've been skating for, let's see, I, I must, I'm 30 years old now and I must have started when I was 11 or 12 off and on. And, um, I'm, I'm getting older now and I find, you know, I'll have a session and my knee starts hurting or my ankles aren't as strong as they used to be. And, you know, after a session, they kind of ache a little bit. Um, is it worth it? Do you think it's worth it? 1000%. <laughs> um, like who says that on the nine club? Is it, uh, Justin, um, is that his thing? 1000, 1000, or is that, uh, the other dude? I forget. Anyways, one of them says it, but, um, yeah, it's worth it, man. I deal, I'm 44 now and I, I deal with all kinds of aches and pains. And like, I, I'm like, it, it's, it hurts to skate. It, it, there's no other way to do it. There has, there's a lot of things I have to do outside of skateboarding to help me feel better when I skate. Um, but it's, there's so much good that, that comes out of it in so many different ways and so many aspects of your life that it's, um, I, I believe, you know, it's, it's more than worth it. It's definitely, it pays dividends in your life compared to maybe the pain and, and hurt that you, you might feel mm. because of it, especially as you get older, you know, and, um, and even if people, I always tell people, even if you're not trying to do tricks or not putting yourself in any risk, you don't want it. You want to try to really minimize how much you might fall or whatever. Uh, even if you're just cruising and enjoying being on the board, it's, it's worth getting out there. And then, you know, find your little measures of progression. If you want a manual from one crack to the next, um, <laughs> manual from one crack to the next, try to do a three or two or three next time. Um, but it's just mm. about being on the board ultimately that is so important and, and worth whatever it takes for you to be able to, to get that time on the board. I think it's all worth it. What would you say to a parent? And I, and I ask this question. I don't have kids yet. I'm, I, I don't know that you have kids, but maybe you could still talk to I this have, point. I have one son, and that's a whole other conversation about triggers <laughs> and stuff. Like he's three, three months old right now. So, Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah, it definitely brought up all kinds of childhood. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Like work through and navigate, you know. Oh, my God. Um, So, yeah, your your question, Uh, what what were you saying? uh, I was going to ask, um, for example, I have a nephew and I've taken him to the skate park, but I – am I don't know what it is about me, but I – not that I hover over him, but I am – terrified of him getting hurt i mean mind you he can barely stand on the skateboard it's not like he's trying to tray flip a five stair or something i i am terrified of him falling over uh breaking his ankle breaking his arm from slipping out um what would you tell a parent or how would you console or soothe those fears of somebody um who's afraid their kid is going to get hurt uh, on a skateboard first i would say chances are if your kid is skateboarding, they will get hurt. (laughs) That's, that's just going to be part of it. But on the, the upside of that, the the bright side of, of it, if you will, whatever pain that they experience because of the fall they might take, it it will help them grow more as an individual in different aspects of life, which will also manifest in their ability to, um, perform in school and their ability to do other things in in their life also of overcoming those fears after they fall to keep up to get up or to go back and, and do that again 
um, develops confidence in them. Anything healthy that you would like to see your child develop as, as a person in regards to individuality, creativity, uh, identity, perseverance, a positive mindset, all these different things, I believe skateboarding helps mm. cultivate it. So having said that, if they do get hurt or when they do get hurt, which they will, if they are trying to actually skate and progress and learn tricks, it's worth it. And um, I would say, you know, be at peace with that and knowing that, and I would also encourage parents or, you know, uncles as well (laughs) to, to think about the aunts, whoever, brothers, sisters, older brothers, sisters, like just think about all of the times that you filmed got hurt in your life, whether mm. you skateboarded or not. And when you look back on that, I'm sure you can notice that you, you probably got something out of it. You know, you probably learned something out of it, or, or maybe you learned that you didn't want to do something and then that redirected you into something else. You know, they're not, it's not a bad thing mm. necessarily to get hurt because also you're pushing your boundaries of comfort and you want to cultivate young people to feel encouraged and um, uh, confident to push their boundaries of comfort. Because if we get mm. caught in complacency, that manifests in other ways in our life as a young person and an adult. So wow. I'd say go for it and uh, <laughs> let them, let them go. Let them just, Get, get hurt and fall down and um, develop the, the things that they will develop from being able to work through something like that. Yeah. There's um there's one major topic I want to get into, but I, I just can't help but ask you a follow-up question to something you said earlier. Um, you, you have a newborn baby, basically three months old. Um, what's going through your mind? I mean, are you, do you, are, do you see this baby in, I mean, I'm making this up here, but I'm just curious about the feelings and emotions you're getting. Do you look at your baby and you're thinking, my God, I'm afraid to touch it. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil my, my baby with, because of how damaged I was as a kid. I don't want that to transfer onto him somehow or her somehow. Um, Not that I think that's the case, but do you have these weird, strange feelings that are resurfacing because you were once a baby and you know what you went through yourself? Yeah. You know, there's definitely some like weird things triggering where I think maybe ways that I was treated as a, as an infant that weren't healthy. And it um, turns out that, you know, my, my mom uh, thought that I was a ugly baby, I guess, and didn't really mm. want, want me. Um, wow. Which I feel now like I've, had some t- weird deep triggers that I've never experienced before that I couldn't experience without having this close encounter with a baby it being my my wife <laughs> and I's child um mm-hmm. so it was weird like where that would kind of those things are coming up where I think that there was some some pain you know caused because mm-hmm. from infancy through 18 months is really when we're developing ourselves like this uh, healthy like attachment relationships and like that sense of comfort knowing where our needs are going to be met and all these things so uh, i think there was some of that missing um but anyways i yeah um it's more though so that i it's just more motivation for me (laughs) to 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 break the cycles and i've it that's been part of my motivation is not wanting to repeat the cycles and just kind of um 
put put my hand up against statistics and what statistics may uh, suggest that my life would end up like, and which I've actually mm-hmm. seen play out in my family uh, in itself. So I, it, I've always been motivated to break that cycle. And this this child um, is this person, this being, this human is not like I'm not trying to put my any of my stuff on it. Like I mm. need, like this is my opportunity to whatever. It's just this is I, it's my responsibility to love and nurture him to my fullest ability and. Um, you know, raise him up to be, to be the best person he can be. So it's really an honor for me to give fully to him in ways that um, a lot of people don't get given to in their life in regards to love and support and acknowledgement. Having said that, of course, there's those lingering fears of I don't want to fail as a father. I don't want to repeat the cycles. I, you know, they're there. Like there's that chatter that comes up of just not wanting to be that. But I know that I won't. You know, it's just chatter in my mind. <laughs> that's like from previous experience or, or whatever things that people have told me. Uh, but I know it's like I've done enough work on myself and I'm whole healthy enough emotionally and mentally to uh, like be confident that those shortcomings and and anything that might hurt him that I would do is not an option. Yeah. You're going to hit it out of the park, man. I'm sure you know that I get that sense and it's probably good that you're being, you're not, not, not that those feelings are surfacing, but that you have an awareness of this, um, of the system that is your life. Um, But I, I fully expect you to hit it out of the park. Um, There's, there's a this one last topic I want to bring up that I am just fascinated with. I think it's what keeps me coming back to skateboarding, um, other than the feeling of landing a trick. You know, I, when I land a trick, I feel like I'm making a, a free throw on a basketball court. Uh, dude, but there's nothing like it, man. There's it, it, <laughs> it doesn't matter what someone does for the first time if they drop in on a two foot quarter <laughs> pipe or they learn to ollie up a curb, whatever. It's the feeling. <laughs> That you see it in the face, it's the body language, everything that it just like ah nothing. Go ahead, I'm sorry. There's nothing. No, 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 no. You're absolutely right. Uh, The and the main topic that I want to get into is community. But now that you mentioned uh, the what you just mentioned, um, I I think you had said it actually maybe in the Tommy Zam interview. I'm not sure where. Maybe I heard you say this, but there's this feeling that I get at the skate park, and it actually does tie into the topic of community, but. Even just yesterday, when I was at the skate park, um, this guy was going for, he was launching out of like a kicker or it was like a bowl, really, without it coping. He was launching out of it and doing this massive tray flip. And he did not look like he was land, going to do it. I really, you know, frankly, I, I can be a little pessimistic sometimes. And I'll <laughs> no, think I, I, was kinda... I mean, you, you see someone try, so yeah, I get it. Like, you're kind of like, dude, I'm not mad. That doesn't even seem close. Right, exactly. But, the guy lands it. He stomps it after like 20 tries. And, you know, I'm like, dude, like you, you did, I, I actually said it to him. I was like, you know, you did that for all of us. You know, that was sort of uh, a moment that we all got to share and your success is our success. You know, something in my brain was uh, triggered. Like, wow, I did that almost, you know, I, it, 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 you take possession as a community in a way, like in a good way where yeah. I went home feeling good, you know, um, 
And I, and I appreciate that you point those sort of things out in your book and in your conversations with people. Um, what do you get out of the, the sense of community from, from skating when you go to the skate park or you run up on a, a crew, just kind of skating a curb or something? What, what do you get out of those uh, interactions? I mean, you just, you get love, you know, you get support, you get seen at, at the core of all of us. We just want to be uh, acknowledged. We want to be validated. We want to be appreciated. We want to be seen, want to be loved, supported cared for and i think that that happens consistently over and over again throughout any skate session it's like Mm. constant encouragement of each other even if you're um like it doesn't matter what someone's trying we all know what it takes to skate if we're out there skating we all know uh, like the pain everyone's overcoming their own fears and pushing their own boundaries of comfort and it's always respected and appreciated and that feels good. It feels good to all of us. I think that not only can we give that support to someone, but we're also receiving it. Even if we're not, we don't land it. It's the uh, process like that dude you're talking about, you know, trying to think sometimes. Yeah. You're like, Oh man, that's uh, it seems far away, but then eventually people work out the problems. They figure out their body, what they need to do. And they, it's like solving a problem. Then they do and they get it. <laughs> But the journey of it, everyone's there with them. And like you mm. said, it's it's everyone's success. It, it's That's why I think we all cheer. And that's why you watch skate videos where you have 10 people that come running into the frame <laughs> after someone lands a trick they might have been battling for hours on multiple occasions. And, and there have been times where I've wanted to leave the skate park, let's say, for example, at 12, and I'm there another two hours watching someone battle something because <laughs> – I'm in the battle. Like I wanted you to do it as much as if I was doing it myself. Like I want this to happen for you. I want it to happen for us. And it's that sense of camaraderie that you feel when someone does overcome that battle and win. Um, Or even if they don't, just the effort itself, the tenaciousness that they display to continue to try over and over again, fall over and over and over again. and keep going it's uh it's i feel like it's impossible not to respect that so what do i get out of it man i get so much i I, even talking about the the baby situation and me dealing with pressures (laughs) and anxiety from that again once again in my life skateboarding proves to be such a beautiful and healthy outlet to help me process uh things in my life you know and then i get to share it with people that um, there's nothing but love and respect for out there skating, even if it's somewhere right. at one time. I am, I, I am just so fascinated by what I see at the skate park. Even, I mean, we're using this tool. It's a skateboard. It's an object where we're expressing ourselves with this tool. And it's actually really interesting to talk to you about it because you, you, you told us about your experience of being, um, for lack of better terms, let's just say a troubled kid. Um, just having gone through all the experiences you went through and then having this tool at your disposal to express yourself in a positive and productive way, it makes me really, um, you know, I, I'm fascinated with sociology and philosophy and psychology. And I feel like Likewise. you, you really see that at the skate park for, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, 
you see issues with dominance. You see issues of uh, envy and submissiveness and timidness. Um, for example, I, I've rolled up to a skate park plenty of times. You know, I, I how can I put this? I may look like I'm better than I am. Like, oh, this guy, oh, he looks like he's really good. And I'm actually like not that great. So I'll pull up to a skate park and immediately guys are like tray flipping in front of me and stomping, you know, these advanced tricks. And then, you know, immediately, as soon as I roll up and then they notice that I'm not that good and then they chill out. It's like, oh, I don't have to impress this guy. So I just notice all these weird social dynamics at the skate park. Um, and I wonder, do you have a view of, of, the skate community, do you have a, maybe a, a too rosy of a view of what a skate community is? No, I mean, there's definitely that, you know, and you have to do, we all have egos, you know, we kind of feel like sometimes people want to, want to flex their flex, basically. <laughs> and, you know, there were, there were phases in my life where I was part of that scene and you know like i would come up and i was younger and i felt like there was a certain type of uh it's identity you know if you're like mm. identified as a shredder and you have a lot of tricks maybe you're sponsored or what like i i know for me when i had uh, uh like different sponsors it was that pressure of people if i they knew i was skating I, I felt like i had to live up to something and then you kind of if someone that you didn't know comes up and they start skating. And right, you're, right. You're both sort of like, you know, you're not, you're competing with each other in a weird way. It, mm. it, but at the same time, even if that would happen or, and I know that I see it now and I, and I obviously I don't get pulled into it now. I'm not in that realm, but I just try to respect it and I try to like cheer and acknowledge and, and validate. But ultimately what it is, if say that sort of vibe is happening with people, um, even if it is, there's still respect. Like mm, there's still, mm. there's not like, dude, get off my block, man. I mean, like, it, it's not like someone's trying to fight you because they're doing a trick in front of you or you're doing a trick in front of them. It's just, you're like, it's a dance. It's like, kind of like <laughs> a break dance. You want to get the dance for you. You have the dance for you. You want to put down some moves. Let's, so, um, at the end of the day, when everyone's sitting down, you're laughing, you're chilling. Like, even if there's a weird vibe, because I see it with young shredders, like, coming up and whatever. And, and I love it. I love all the young people that just explode tricks on, on when they show up. Uh, but, you know, so I don't have, a like, a rosy view that there's not weird dynamics in the skate mm. community. Because there are. There's competitive nature. It's a very competitive sport in different levels because you're competing with yourself. And then you start to, like, uh, have, have that show in other people. And some compete. Uh, some don't. And some are pushing for that uh, recognition and trying to get sponsored. They want to be seen. All So there's different parts of that. But... Would I say they're bad or would I say they're wrong? As long as they're not hurting anyone, as long as everyone is always taking the time to cheer on the person who is learning to, to ollie or to drop in and still for, not forgetting where you come from, then I'm all for it, right? I'm all, I, um, I respect it and, uh, you know, and I, I can acknowledge that we're all humans and we deal with different insecurities and different needs to get validated and also um the ego and there's different things that mm. play a part into it but i uh, again ultimately i think none of it's out of malice and trying to hurt anyone just trying to 
trying to skate and show what they can show what they have sometimes, you know? What does it feel like when uh, you land a trick and you hear behind you or you, you see to your side and you, you hear someone go, you, what does it feel like when that happens? When you land a trick and you get that response? It's like, it's, it's like what you're feeling internally being reinforced externally. So it's like <laughs> joining forces, what you feel where you're rolling away and their excitement is like, it's, it's just, yeah, it's like this, the feeling and intensifies the feeling you already have inside. It's not like, Oh yeah, they just clap for me. It's just like, yeah, we, yeah, you feel it too. We feel it together kind of, at least in my, in my mind. So it feels good, man. It always feels good. And it feels good to, again, to cheer for people, man. I'm, I'm kind of that guy at the skate park that's always hyped on anyone mm. doing anything just because I love to, to see people get stoked on skating and, you know, and, and, and enjoying it. Uh, like no matter if they're doing a, you know, like a big spin back tail down the, the ledge on the stairs or they're learning the Ollie manual, the, the Manny pad, I get stoked on it. Mm. Wow. Ricky Roberts, the third, um, it's been really great talking to you. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed your book. Thank you. Skateboarding. Um, I'm going to have to, uh, I, I'm really interested in your other books too. I may have to start with, um, healing. I, I forget what it's called. Healing the wounded child. Yeah. Healing the wounded child did, man. That's a, that's a good one. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a workbook setup that I did in that one. So mm. I'm stoked on it. There's no way I could possibly capture you in the a time frame of an hour. I think you did shine your light throughout this. Um, I'll ask you just one more question. You can answer it any way you like. Ricky Roberts III, who the hell are you? <laughs> oh, man, a work in progress, man, a work in progress until the day I die. Mm -hmm.